This is Tess and Chloe, and we want to welcome you to our first official episode of Double Trouble. Yay! Yay! It's pretty spooky. Should we tell them what we did this weekend? Yeah. Also, so sorry if you could hear that big ass gulp of wine I just took. I'll try and restrain my gulps through the rest of this episode. I know. Episode. Whenever I'm like listening to a podcast and I hear them drink, I'm like, so I die sorry. a little inside. We try not to eat. Oh, no, we don't try not to. We just don't. So that way we're not I like don't think crunchy. I've ever tried not to eat. Crunch and munch. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, every time I say crunch, I think crunch, crunch and munch. munch. <laughs> never heard that. What the fuck was it? I think it's from Twitter. Jesus but... Christ. <laughs> so we try not oh, to Oh, fucking that munch. vine. I'm gonna crunch. I'm gonna munch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, alright, alright, I figured out where I got it from. So. I was like, what the fuck? I don't fucking know. Also, sorry if you hear the cats playing in the background, by the way. We're filming at my place. I have three children, Max, aka cats. Shut up! Whoa. What did you do this weekend? Besides Goodwill, because we both went to Goodwill together, and I got a fuck ton of mason jars. What did I do? We're drinking our wine out of mason jars. It's like aesthetically pleasing, but also it's, it's like crafty. a fuck ton. Oh my god, it has lines. This is four cups of wine, supposedly. <laughs> There's ice. Want to there's ice. There's ice. There's density. Okay. Okay. So, yesterday I hung out with our mom. Did some returns that I've been putting off from Amazon. Honestly, okay. No. Fuck Amazon. Fuck Jeff Bezos. But yeah. Thank you. Sorry, I had to put that out there. Um, but I do use Amazon Prime. I hate going places, and the pandemic has just made it so that way I can have more an excuse not to. So I did a lot of returns because you, your girl likes to test things out and see how they actually work. And then if they don't work, um, fuck capitalism, I'm returning it. I did that on Saturday and then Sunday, got some brunch with a friend. Hi, Katie. She was our first follower on Instagram today. She is was one of my um, PT, like physical therapy people. Um, okay. We got brunch and um, then took a little nappy nap because all I do is nap. And then Chloe and I went to Goodwill and I got hella, hella sweaters. We got no sweats. No sweaties. I sweat every day. It's never new here. <laughs> what did That's you do? disgusting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what did you do this weekend? Um, or this so week? You know, however you're feeling. I did my job this week. I do uh, be working. I hate that. And then mm-hmm. Saturday, I went to a pumpkin patch in Morena, Arizona with my boyfriend. It was kind of like an adventure, you know, an adventure on the trip. Like, we, like... Did a few things, like we stopped at in and out you know, shit like that. So we went there, we literally bought $70 worth of pumpkins. We bought literally like 140 pounds worth of pumpkins. How many pumpkins did you get? Like six? I think that's six. I think it's wow, six. Wow, the counting jumped out. Ooh, basic arithmetic. Um, I'd love a good math problem. No, but that's what... <laughs> <laughs> no. That's, <laughs> that's what we did though. I don't know what the fuck I did today besides exist and go yeah. to goodwill with you, to yeah. be honest. Sometimes it'd be like that. I need those weekends where I can sleep in. I literally slept in until one yesterday. Like, it's mental illness, isn't it? In it. In yeah. it. What are we talking about? <laughs> what are we? Let's, let's segue out of that. Um, <laughs> what are we talking about today? We are talking about the toolbox killers, but they're from the 70s. And they're called the toolbox killers because they use commonly 
fucking found household items. Our two serial killers are Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris. And we're gonna start with Lawrence Bittaker. So he was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on September 27th, 1940. And he actually wasn't wanted by his parents. So they straight up just placed him in an orphanage immediately. But when he was 12, he was arrested for shoplifting. That got him a small criminal record. And for the next four years after that, he basically kept getting arrested for the same fucking shit. When asked about this, he tried to say it was because his parents didn't love him. So basically, he's got his minor record. Mm -hmm. He goes ahead and moves on to high school. He's actually tested and has an IQ of 138. So that's that's classified as gifted or very advanced. Mm -hmm. But he dropped out of high school in 1957. And within a year of dropping out, he had been arrested for car theft, hit and run, evading arrest. And he was actually imprisoned in the California Youth Authority. And he stayed there until he was 18 years old. When he was released, he found out that his parents had disowned him and they actually left. And he actually never sees them again in his life. Next, we'll move on to Roy Norris. That was kind of his like partner in crime. They were a double duo. You know what they say, double trouble, LMAO. (laughs) Good name drop. So, Roy Norris, born February 5th, 1948, but he was born out of wedlock and his parents actually just married to avoid the social stigma. So his father actually had like a pretty normal job. If I remember, he was like a technician or a mechanic or something. It was something where it was like an actual skill, like a trade skill, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And his mom, she had issues with drug addiction and she didn't work. So because of that, He was sometimes with his parents throughout his childhood, but he kept being placed in foster homes. Basically, both killers had pretty shitty childhoods. I mean, obviously, we're not gonna pity them for that, but I do think it's interesting. I pity the fool. So something... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, shut the halo. (laughs) (laughs) There was an incident where he was sexually assaulted, supposedly by his foster parent. It's Mm. not 100% confirmed. I obviously don't want to say, like, I don't believe the victim, but that is something that could have played into his you know, issues in childhood. Mm -hmm. And it can also play into what I'm about to tell you next. So, because he kind of had some weird sexual things you'll see in the killings. But um, when he was 16, he actually visited the home of a, like, female relative. She was older than him. And he began, like, talking to her in, like, a really sexually suggestive manner. Like, he was basically, like, flirting with her, hitting on her. And she literally was like, get the fuck out of here, kicked him out, and then told his dad. His dad proceeded to threaten to fucking beat him. Norris ends up taking his dad's car to the Rocky Mountains and tries to kill himself. And he was actually caught and then returned to his parents. Mm -hmm. When he got home, his parents basically told him that he and his younger sister weren't wanted and they wanted a divorce. He did commit some like sexual crimes. Bittaker committed like car theft and shit. And this is how they met, because I know you were wondering. Oh yeah, here we go. They just knew of each other in 1977 when they arrived, when Norris arrived at San Luis. Okay, I'm going to try this. Obispo? Um, It's like a yeah. jail. It's, oh, hey. Obis- Obis- Obispo? Obispo? Yeah. Oh, yeah, something um, like that. Of the culture. I feel like I've heard that. They basically were like, they knew each other and they were began like being friends. Okay, so they met in jail. Yeah, so yeah, they literally met in jail. And in that's, like the late 70s? Yeah, 77. 77. 77. All right. And the murders take place, if I recall correctly, all throughout the year of 79. So. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty much right after they got out of jail. Oh, the honeymoon um, phase. <laughs> so, honestly, though. <laughs> Sorry. Well, and I feel like this is their honeymoon phase because they started being friends, and then they fucking, Norris taught Bitteker how to make jewelry. So they were literally like serial killers making friendship bracelets together. Cute. They were like, I love you. 
I love Roy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, literally. Like it, so they literally, like, it's so funny because I just imagine them, like, sitting there then making friendship bracelets. Friendship bracelets. Right? <laughs> so once they basically became closer, they actually realized, hey, we're both fucking crazy. Okay. Which, what I mean by that is they're both really into sexual violence and misogyny. They hated women and they liked basically any sexual aspect of torturing women. They okay. were like, that sounds amazing. Hmm, um, I wonder how that conversation comes up. Norris told Bideker. The biggest stimulation for him was seeing frightened young women. And he says that because he committed a bunch of sexual offenses. Okay. Sorry if you hear my cats fucking with the blinds. Max. There we go. He's really cute. I love him. He's so adorable, but he's literally on crack all the time. I just realized that. They could probably hear him fucking with them. Yeah. That's okay. Sorry, y'all. But it is what it is. It is what it is. So, yeah, Norris was like, I'm fucking crazy, and I like to torture women. Bideker was like, no yeah. way. Literally, in response, Bideker was like, mm, if I ever raped a woman, I'd kill her. So, oh, fuck yeah. it literally was like... Two and one, baby. No. <laughs> Just no. No. I'm going to shut the fuck Remember up Remember when we were like, serious podcast, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, two for one, I love a BOGO. <laughs> um, fuck you. <laughs> um, so... Anytime they were alone when they were in jail together, they literally talked about their plans to assault and murder teenage girls once they were free. They basically ended up planning to murder one girl from each teenage year from 13 to 19. So they were also pedophiles on top of the fact that they're fucking murderers. So they're just trash overall. I mean, I think we knew this, but like, it's just like throw the whole thing out, you know? You know, we've been new. So, true. Once they, like, realized that they wanted to fucking be crazy together, they were like, okay, once we're released, we're going to fucking reacquaint, and we'll fucking go from there. Yeah. So, three months after Bitteker was released from, it's called the California Men's Colony, Norris was released from prison as well, and he actually received a letter from Bitteker that was like, what up, homie? Let's fucking kill people. You know how people are like, oh, I rekindled the flame. They literally rekindled their plan to kidnap and murder girls. So oh, sick. Literally sick. (laughs) So, Bideker ended up purchasing a 1977 GMC cargo van in February of 1979. And basically, they liked this van because it had super large passenger doors that made it easy to abduct their victims without fully opening the doors. Um, And they nicknamed this van the Murder Mac. So, (laughs) is Mac short for anything? I think it's machine, and I was like, damn, this is the complete opposite of the mystery machine. Uh, Like, the disrespect. The mystery machine solves crimes, the murder Mac commits them. Yeah, literally. (laughs) Like, if the mystery fucking machine has Scooby-Doo, like, what does the murder Mac have? It's like, hey, we've got a fucking... Two assholes. Yeah, oh. (laughs) You're not wrong. It's the tools! So, yeah, that's literally what they got the van for. Return of the Mac. No. No. Uh, we don't put a good song with serial killers. No, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm not trying to bop and also be like, oh. Uh, no, 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 you're right. So from February to June 1979, uh, Bideker and Norris picked up over 20 female hitchhikers. Oh, wow. And they didn't kill any of these people. These were just practice runs. So yeah. they wanted to see how they could get the girls into the van. Could you imagine being one of those 20 girls that was like, yeah, I was picked up, but, like, nothing happened. And then you hear all of a sudden that those two guys who you, like hitchhiked with that one time or on the news and how they kill like a whole bunch of people after you well yeah so they basically were doing practice runs with girls and they were also in the meantime trying to find somewhere that was secluded enough yeah they ended up going to the san gabriel mountains where um bitaker actually broke a locked gate i'm not sure whose property this was so okay i hate to to interrupt you where are we at now what state 
This is California. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, sorry. They they met in the California so, men's colony. Oh, okay. So in they prison were in, in California. jail in California. Yes, and then yes, they yes, stay yes, 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 yes. Sorry. Okay. Welcome to the hotel, California. Hey, remember when we're not going to associate good songs with my family? <laughs> um, <no. laughs> so, Bideker, when he found, like, this secluded place in the San Gabriel Mountains, he broke a locked a lock like off of a gate mm-hmm. and then proceeded to replace the lock with one that he owned. Mm. I think it's private property, but yeah. no one ever was like, whose lock is this? Yeah, they were like, so, okay, it's a lock. I don't think like anyone ever like noticed until, you know, they mm-hmm. were caught. But that's kind of how it started. Hmm. And then we move on to their first murder. Okay. Like I said, remember February to June, they were like, we're going to practice on girls. Mm-hmm. They actually killed their first victim. Her name's Lucinda Lynn Schaefer on June 24th, 1979. Okay. So what had happened is they basically had finished up everything they needed in the murder mac. They finished constructing the bed. They had their tools, clothes, and a cooler underneath it. And they were like, okay, we're ready to go. Cooler. Like full of beer and stuff. <laughs> like soda. <laughs> A little snacky. A little snacky snoom. Snacky. They were like, can't kill when you're hungry. So <laughs> They were just really When hungry. they're hungry, they just have feelings. Oh, oh no. They were like, we're ready. And at 11 a.m., they drove down to the beach and were like trying to find an area where they could drink beer, smoke grass, and flirt with girls. That's part of the experience. So Schaefer was actually last seen leaving a Presbyterian church meeting in Redondo Beach at approximately 7.46. What happened is they approached her, couldn't convince her to get into the van with marijuana or a lift home. Yeah, what they did was they actually drove further ahead and parked alongside a driveway. What happened is when she was walking past the van, Norris was like, hey, how you doing, blah, blah, exchange a few words with her, and then ended up dragging her into the van and closing the door. No. So that's actually how most of the girls were abducted into the murder mag. And what happened is after they would get inside, Bitteker would turn the radio to full volume so mm-hmm. you couldn't hear them scream or anything, mm-hmm. and Norris would tie them up and gag them and then they would proceed to drive to their killing grounds which was in that little secluded area in the san gabriel mountains sometimes i will do quotes because they tape recorded most of their murders i'm just gonna say it right now trigger warning sexual assault and trigger warning gore these murders are pretty pretty gruesome yeah they literally use the tape recordings at the fbi academy to desensitize them to torture really and sexual assault yeah oh my gosh so these these are very gruesome very aggressive what happened is they were driving to the killing grounds they say that despite initially like screaming at the top of her lungs when she was abducted lucinda quickly regained composure and calmed down bideker actually said that she displayed a magnificent state of self-control and composed acceptance of the conditions of which she had no control she shed no tears offered no resistance, and expressed no great concern for her safety. I guess she knew it was coming. So what happened is, trigger warning, Lucinda was sexually assaulted by both Norris and Bideker, while the other would take a walk. Lucinda, actually, when Norris was... mm, She actually asked if he was going to kill her while he was sexually assaulting her for a second time. Mm -hmm. And even though he said no, she still asked permission to pray if they were going to kill her. Yeah. What happened for this first murder isn't really clear. When they were caught, Norris and Bideker kind of go back and forth. But what they say is that each of them stated and argued that they should kill her. Mm-hmm. So what happened is Norris actually then attempted to manually strangle her, but he couldn't finish because of the look in her eyes. 
and he ran to the front of the van vomiting. Bideker then manually strangled her until she collapsed to the ground and began convulsing. Uh. And this is kind of why they're called the, the toolbox killers. He then twisted a coat hanger around her neck, a wire coat hanger around her neck, with vice grip pliers until her convulsions ceased. Even though Lucinda, you know, basically begged to pray, they, they did didn't not let, let her. her. They didn't let her pray oh, before they killed her. Bitches. Yeah, I know. They're just, I mean, I literally, <laughs> throughout my notes, I literally just refer to them as the assholes. <laughs> like, I literally, like, <laughs> did you really? I fucking, I hate them. Yeah. I literally, the, the, when they met, I said, how the two assholes met. But yeah, we no. don't like them. We might joke about it. but <laughs> We might joke about it, but I, yeah, I legitimately I'm sure I've don't. definitely made some jokes along this way that have been like, ooh, does she really mean that? No, I don't. Like, No, we fucking hate them. Yeah. So what happened then is Lucinda's body was wrapped in a plastic shower curtain and thrown over a canyon that Bideker had selected. Oh my god! So they were in the mountains, so they, they just threw, threw her in a into canyon. a canyon. Yeah. And Norris basically said Bideker threw her into the canyon and said something along the lines of, "Don't worry, the animals will eat her, and there won't be any evidence." So that was their first murder. Okay. Now we'll move on to their second victim, which was Andrea Joy Hall. Their first murder was on June 24th. Right. And then their second murder, July 8th. Oh, wow. So, yeah, no. That's not even two weeks. So, they were very consistent with their kills. Like, two weeks after they murdered Lucinda, Bittaker and Norris encountered 18-year-old Andrea Joy. How old was Lucinda at the time? I'm just wondering if they got to their achievement of, like, someone between 13 to 18 or whatever. Um, yes, they do. Okay. Uh Oh, no! They get someone from every age group? I'm pretty sure. Andrea's 17. So she was actually hitchhiking along the Pacific Coast Highway. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to slow down and offer her a ride, but she was actually picked up by, like, a fucking normal person. Oh! A non-murderer. So what happened is they followed the vehicle she was in, waited until she was let out. Norris did his typical thing where he hid in the back of the van in order to, like, convince her into thinking Bittaker was alone. Bittaker was like, hey, you want a cold drink from the cooler? And as soon as he did that, Norris hopped out and grabbed on her when she went to grab the drink. Um, She actually struggled really aggressively. Mm -hmm. Apparently she was screaming, but Norris twisted her arm behind her back, and that caused her a lot of pain, and he overpowered her. He then gagged her with adhesive tapes and bound her wrist and ankles. Uh So tied him up and gagged him like he did with his previous victim. They then drove to the San Gabriel Mountains, and she was sexually assaulted twice by Bideker and once by Norris. They drove farther into the San Gabriel Mountains where Bideker forced Andrea to walk uphill naked alongside the road and then had her perform oral sex on him. Ugh. He also had her pose for several Polaroid pictures. Mm-hmm. The pair drove Andrea to a third and final location where Bideker walked her up a hill again. Norris actually was, he wasn't here during this time. He actually, once he dropped the mouth, he drove and purchased some alcohol. <laughs> so I'm not sure what Ran happened. Out of booze. But when Norris returned, Bitteker was alone and had two Polaroid pictures he had taken. Mm-hmm. Um, Norris later described the faces Andrea was making in these photos as of being sheer terror as she begged for her life. And what Bitteker had done was basically psychologically torture Andrea. Mm-hmm. He told her he would kill her unless she gave him as many reasons as possible as to why she should be allowed to live. Yeah. Shoved an ice pick through her ear into her brain. Oh! Then turned her body over and thrust the ice pick into the other side of her ear and stomped on it until the handle broke. After that, he strangled her 
to make sure, you know, she Jesus. was deceased. And he threw her off the cliffside. Oh, my God. That is their second victim. This next one's kind of interesting because they actually took two girls at the same time. Oh, wow. So their third and fourth victims were friends. Jackie, I think it's Gilliam or Gilliam, and Jacqueline Lamp. Yeah, Gilliam and Lamp. Okay. So their last murder was on July 8th. This time they waited a hot minute. On September 3rd Oh wow! is when they... How old were these two? Gilliam was 15 and Lamp was 13. They were sitting on a bus stop bench located close to Hermosa Beach. Mm -hmm. They were actually hitchhiking up and down the Pacific Coast Highway. And they had been hitchhiking for a long time before Bittaker and Norris saw them. They did their typical thing where they offered the girls a ride and some marijuana. And they actually accepted both. They, you know, smoked. Shortly after they entered the van, they realized that Bittaker had actually steered the van off the Pacific Coast Highway and was driving in the direction of the San Gabriel Mountains. Mm -hmm. So they were like, they actually called them out. And they were like, what the fuck are you doing? What's going on? And didn't accept the excuses. So they were... Good for them. I'm going to be honest. These girls are pretty badass. And yeah, they're the younger ones too. Well, I mean, if they've been traveling up and down and hitchhiking for a little bit, like you could tell that they're probably hardened. They accepted weed. Like one of them's 13. Yeah. You know, at 13, I wasn't even... I was like scared of weed. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So... Lamp actually tried to escape by opening the sliding door, but Norris hit her on the back of the head with a bag filled with lead weights and knocked her out. So he knocked her unconscious. Yeah. He then overtook Gilliam and started tying her up, but while he was doing that, Lamp regained consciousness and tried to escape again. Mm -hmm. Norris did his good old thing where he'd twist her arm, just like he did to Andrea, and dragged her back into the van. While this was happening, Bittaker realized, he was like, holy shit, the struggle is literally something that anyone can see, because the doors were, like, wide open. Oh, no. yeah. Yeah. So... He was like, fuck. He proceeded to punch Lamp in the face and helped Norris tie the girls up. So he, like, pulled over. They were then driven to the San Gabriel Mountains, and they were actually held captive for two days. Oh, my God. So. So they're, at, so two girls, two days. Like, they they waited three months, but they really, like, stepped their game up. Yeah, and we can see a lot of escalation, like, as this story kind of proceeds. Mm-hmm. The girls were bound and gagged while sexually and physically abused multiple times throughout the two days. Mm -hmm. Both men slept in the van alongside the hostages, with each alternatively acting as a lookout. Yeah. At one point, Bittaker walked Lamp into a nearby hill and forced her to pose for pornographic photos, like his Polaroids that he took. Right. And before returning to the van, he also had Norris take several photos of him and Gilliam as well. He also, this is kind of when the tape recordings become more prevalent. Mm -hmm. He also took tape recordings the first three times he sexually assaulted her. Norris, when he was sexually assaulting Gilliam, he actually forced her to pretend she was his cousin. So we only know about this. We actually don't have the tape for this one. Supposedly the tape was buried in a cemetery, but it's never been found. So we have no clue What's where this is. What's the point of is. documenting it if you're not even going to keep it? I honestly think he they were trying didn't to get think rid of he was going to get caught and was like, I can go back to this later or something. Uh, I guess. Gilliam was also stabbed in her breast with an ice pick and they used vice grip pliers to tear off one part of her nipple. Oh. After keeping the girls for about two days, they ended up murdering Lamp and Gilliam. Norris claimed he wanted to give Gilliam a quick death due to her cooperation, but... Bittaker said, no, they only die once anyways. 
Gilliam was struck in each ear with an ice pick and then strangled to death. What is it with the fucking ears and the ice picks? Bideker's the one who does that. So fucking weird. After Bideker had murdered Gilliam, he then forced Lamp out of the van, and his last words to her were, you wanted to stay a virgin, now you can die a virgin. And then he killed her with a sledgehammer. Didn't they sexually assault her, though? It's not clear. Oh. I'm not sure. I'm just going to be honest with you. I can't recall if their bodies were found, but I think if they were, they were all bones. They strangled her until she lost consciousness after hitting her with the sledgehammer. And they thought she was dead. Oh my god. But she opened her eyes. And Norse, once again, repeatedly hit her on the head with the fucking sledgehammer as Bideker strangled her to death. Oh, wow. So, yeah, very gruesome death. Yeah, these are horrible deaths. So what they did with the bodies, they just threw them over an embankment into the chaparral, throwing them over a cliff, basically. They did not care about them. This is our fifth and final victim, mm-hmm. was Shirley Lynette Ledford. They abducted their final victim. She was 16 years old. So if I recall correctly, they never got they a 15-year-old. didn't 15 get a 16-year-old. Year old. No, 17-year-old. 17-year-old, okay. Mm-hmm. And here's the spooky thing. She was abducted on October 31st, 1979. Here's the Halloween tie-in. Yeah, so here's the spooky one. If this is posted on Halloween, I think that's 41 years from her death. Aw. 41-year anniversary. Oh, why are you going to do that to me? I'm fucking going to cry now. She was actually abducted outside of a gas station while she was trying to hitchhike home from a Halloween party. They think she got in the van with Bideker because he actually was known to frequent a restaurant that she was a waitress at. Oh. So she was like a part-time waitress here. Oh, she was like, I know this guy. Yeah, so she trusted him because she was like, oh, I know him. He comes here all the time. Mm -hmm. So she got in the van with them. And... Once she did, they did their normal routine of offering some Mary Jane before Bitteker drove the van to a secluded street. Norris withdrew a knife. Then they bound and gagged Shirley with construction tape. They then swapped places, and Norris drove for once. Norris oh, wow. actually drove around for about an hour while Bitteker remained with Ledford in the back of the van. He removed the construction tape from her legs and mouth and then started to yell at her, after physically attacking her he was kind of like mocking her he, this was like psychological torture like this was yeah. he was yelling at her to say something and then as she started screaming he would yell at her to scream louder and he continued to mock her and torture her while beating her so he was beating her with his fists hitting her slapping her yeah. and just yelling at her the whole time he yelled at her what's the matter don't you like to scream you know yeah. just things like that he was very very aggressive with her she asked Bideker not to touch her and his response was to tell her to scream as loud as she wished then he began alternatively striking her with a hammer beating her breast with his fist and torturing her with pliers between both of these times he also raped and sodomized her she repeatedly begged Bideker to stop but he never did and continued to attack her with the sledgehammer and pliers once that was done nor switched places with Bideker then turned on a tape recorder to document his tortures. He struck Shirley once on her left elbow, and she actually begged him not to hit her again because she said, you broke my elbow. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't care that you broke your elbow. <laughs> um, that was Norris. Um, um, that was a reference because, to a vine. Chloe yeah. does, in fact, care. Yeah, <laughs> he, he literally was like, I don't give a fuck, and then struck her 25 oh, times ouch. on the same elbow with a sledgehammer. Was, this was right before he asked her, 
what are you sniveling about? And then just beat, he just went to fucking town on her broken elbow. No. Yo, as someone who's broken multiple bones, like, doing anything to a broken, like, extremity is fucking so painful. Like, I just can't even, like, the, the, the initial break is painful, yes, but it's just, like, even more, it's, like, tenfold the pain once you fuck with it. Ow. Ugh. I mean, I have to believe you because I've never broken a bone. Oh, so. that is so. Ugh. That's so fucked. Drink your milk. Have your calcium. It doesn't actually do anything for you. Oh fuck! Never mind. It's all government plots. It's yes, a conspiracy. It is. Oh yeah. You can look that up. We'll talk about the government dairy conspiracy in the next episode. No, we won't. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you fucking imagine? I'm sure there is a podcast. You know, I could. There's gotta be a fucking government conspiracy podcast. You I'll know. have to find one. If I find a good one, I'll recommend it. Sorry. So Norris, you know, struck her 25 times on that broken elbow. Um, And after approximately two hours of captivity, Norris killed her by strangling her with a wire coat hanger, which he tightened with pliers. But she she died with her eyes open. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that, like, they always go back on is that she died with her eyes open. This is kind of where they get a little wonky, and this is low-key what gets them caught. Bitteker actually decided to get rid of her body on a random lawn in order to get a reaction from the press. You fucking idiots. So Yo. they just drove to a random if house. it's not enough to kill these girls, now they're getting bored of not getting any recognition from it. They drove to a random house in Sunland and discarded her body in a bed of ivy on the front lawn. Jesus, that poor people, those poor people in the house. Yeah, well, she was actually discovered by a jogger. Um, her body was found by a jogger, and once her body was found, the autopsy revealed that she died of strangulation, and her sexual assault was so bad that her genitalia and rectum had been torn, Ow. caused by the pliers inserted into her body. Ow. So he sodomized her and sexually, yeah. Bitteker specifically sodomized her and sexually assaulted her with pliers. Yeah. And that is their last murder. This is the but beginning of the end. Basically, they played themselves. So <laughs> they played yourself. This is where Norris gets a little cocky. In November of 1979, Norris mm-hmm. became reacquainted with his old friend, who had been incarcerated at California Men's Colony with him and Bideker. And Norris told him about Bideker and his like fucking murders. And Shirley was their last victim. Her body was the only one that had been found at the time. Right. So that's kind of why he was like, oh, let me tell you all about this. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was like, he was like we that did that. Mm-hmm. We did that. So he actually told Jackson, in addition to the five murders, there had been three other incidents where him and Bideker had actually abducted and attempted to like sexually assault some young women. And actually, upon hearing Norris's confessions... Jackson was like, what the fuck do I do? Went to his attorney, and his attorney was like, yeah, you should probably tell the police. So mm-hmm. he went to the LAPD and actually gave information to the Hermosa Beach Department. Mm-hmm. Hermosa Beach Police Department, yeah. sorry. Yeah, but he was basically like, no, I'm not having anything to fucking Good do with this, him. and yeah. told. That actually started an investigation with a detective named Paul Bynum, and he was the one who was like, okay, I'm going to look into these claims. Norris had told him about the, like, murders and, you know, the Shirley incident, but he also gave additional information where he said that Bitteker had sprayed mace in the face of a woman who had actually been brought into the van and raped by both men. Mm -hmm. And this actually matched a report that was filed back on September 30th. Uh. And, And the report was just like, you know, these two 
mid-30s men, right. white men, right. dragged me into the van. So the victim's name was Robeck, and she actually had reported it and was not able to identify them at the time. Mm-hmm. However, later on, she actually positively identified two photos of them as her attackers, and that's how they were officially caught. Right. Um, she wasn't able to identify them in a police lineup, surprisingly. Okay. Um, but she identified the two photos from of the them. photographs. Okay. Yeah. So that I'm not sure if they had like shaved or changed their appearance. Exactly. Um, had like, from what I could tell, longer hair and a mustache, uh-huh. and Roy had shorter hair and like a beard. So I'm not sure, you know, if in the lineup they had changed their appearance or something. Mm. So what happened was after you know she identified them, Norris was arrested by the Hermosa Beach Police for a parole violation. He was caught dealing marijuana. And the same day at the Burbank Motel, Bideker was arrested for the rape of Robin Robeck. Oh, my God. So they went off the full but, identification. But for Norris, they were like, eh, hey, I mean, he violated parole anyway, so let's get Well, him. yeah, basically. Yeah. And then, you know, once they went to the hotel, they had found, like, Polaroids and stuff. Oh, um, there you yeah, go. So it wasn't just that. It was, like, on top of that. Oh, yeah. So yeah. like I said, she wasn't able to identify them via police lineup, but she mm-hmm. did the photos. Either way, they saw Norris, you know, selling drugs, and Bitteker had been in possession of drugs at the time of his arrest on top of, you know, the Polaroids and shit. So they were both fully arrested for parole violations. That's what Uh, really kind of kept them. So when they searched Bitteker's apartment, they found the photographs, Paul and Gilliam, so that's Andrea, and I think it was... So it's Jackie. Yeah. I know I don't want to say Jacqueline and, like, have you guys confused. So that's Jackie Gilliam. And Andrea Hall. Yes. Inside his van, they also found the sledgehammer, the plastic bag filled with lead weights, a book detailing how to find police radio frequencies, a jar of Vaseline, two necklaces that actually ended up being the victims, Mm -hmm. two of the victims, and a tape recording of young women uh, while they were being sexually assaulted Uh in distress. So this is why we don't document our murders, people. No, please do, because oh. we want to catch you. <laughs> I mean, please fair. be a fucking idiot. Fair. So here's kind of a really unfortunate tidbit. Since they had found Shirley's body, she was the only one, obviously. Uh-huh. Her mother actually had to identify the voice on the tape. No! Yeah, so she had to identify. That gives me goosebumps every time. I hate it. And when they went to both of the homes of Bitterker and Norris, they actually found Polaroid pictures of almost like... I think it was 500 teenage girls. Oh, my God. um, Yeah, they say teenage girls and young women because, you know, the age varied. Yeah. Most of them had been taken at Redondo Beach and Hermosa Beach. Mm -hmm. Others had been taken by Bideker at Burbank High School. So, and most of the photos, like, they weren't, like, with consent. They were, like, upshots and shit like that. So the girls didn't know the photos were taken. So they ended up searching the San Gabriel Mountains where they had discarded four of the of the five bodies. Norris led the investigators to the bodies of two of the four victims, but they I don't think they found any other ones. Mm-hmm. He also agreed to go to the San Gabriel Mountains in search of the bodies who weren't found. In each instance, he ended up bringing them to the areas where they had disposed the bodies, but they weren't able to find Schaefer or Hall's bodies. Okay. So they weren't able to find their two bodies. They found the skeletons of... Lamp and Gilliam, and they were found at the bottom of a canyon along like a dry riverbed. Mm-hmm. And when they analyzed the bodies, the ice pick was still lodged into the Gilliam's skull, and Lamp's skull actually had indentations of where she had been hit with the hammer. Ouch. So her skull was actually like dented mm-hmm. in because of those hits. 
in February of 1980, so this was about four months after their last murder on the on Halloween of 1979, mm-hmm. they were formally charged with the murders of the five girls. Bittercrow was denied bail. Norris's bail was set at 10000 Excuse me. Just because you help out doesn't mean you deserve bail. Yeah. I mean, they're both garbage, but that's kind of, uh. it is what it is. Norris actually accepted a plea bargain to testify against Bittaker. God, so Norris he fucking went, flipped. You know how they're like, if you're going to have two serial killers, you got an alpha and a beta. Like, yeah, no, for sure. And Norris immediately is like, what can I do to save myself? Yeah, so he testified to not get the death penalty, basically. Basically, they both were sent to jail for life. They both actually died of natural causes pretty recently. It's always unfortunate when, like, a serial killer dies of a natural cause. I'm like, oh, you weren't stabbed today? You know, I almost... Okay, no, I get that. Uh, but I do prefer that sometimes because, like... Yeah, they live their punishment. Oh, like, yeah, like, they live through their punishment. It's a very hard topic, the death penalty. Because at one yeah. point, it's like, I don't want them to have any form of life. Yeah. Because they took away so many. Exactly. But on the other side, it's like, you know, you want them to live out their deaths and, like, you know, live out the rest of their life in a not happy place. Yeah, you just gotta, like, I get hope. both sides. You have to hope whatever, like, is after life, like, whatever is, you know... Yeah. Like, hell or whatever you believe in, you gotta hope that they're, like, living... Yeah. The worst in the afterlife. So Bittaker actually died December 13th of 2019 at 79. Uh, and Norris actually died this year, February 24th, at the age of 72. Holy cow. So, yeah, they both died very recently. I think it was Bittaker who allowed interviews. They are in jail for 40 years. Yeah. God. So Norris did allow, um, I'm sorry, Bittaker allowed, like, interviews and he actually replied to one of his letters as Pliers Bitteker because of the murder victims. Yeah, so he was very like Bitteker was very like I just want to say like creepy. Like he, this man's evil. His only regret in life was him saying like he didn't regret what he did. He just regretted the fact that this is how his life ended up. He regretted the fact that he trusted Norris enough not to tell someone. I mean, that's literally what he says. Literally. Yeah. So he basically was like, I just regret that I ended up in jail. I don't regret what I did at all. Yeah. No so, surprise there. And Norris actually said that he enjoyed sexually assaulting them but he didn't like the murder or torture and said only Bittaker did that yeah he said he didn't like killing at all but that was Bittaker's favorite part and he liked watching women struggle the prosecutor at Bittaker's trial actually says the murders committed by them was the worst criminal case he's ever prosecuted Mm. and he actually still has nightmares that he was rushing to the Bittaker's van to prevent harm coming to the girls but Uh. he would get there too late so this, like, ruined their lives. Paul Bynum, you know, the uh, detective? Yes. He actually committed suicide in December of 1987. Oh, my God. And he wrote a 10-page suicide note, and the note included the murders that Bittaker and Norris had committed. He wow. said they were haunting them, and he feared they'd be released from prison. Oh. So these are very, very, like, violent murders. When they used the tapes at the trial... Everyone was sobbing, like bawling their eyes out. When they played the tape recordings in court, they, like the Ooh. jury, that everyone was bawling. <sighs> the Stephen K., the prosecutor, actually went outside and, and talked to the press and was like sobbing. He was like, This is the worst case I've ever tried. Yeah. So, like, Ooh. yeah. So, I know I get goosebumps every Ooh, time. Yeah. So. Oh my God, goosebumpy. That is the toolbox killers, basically. Oh. It's fucking terrible. And you know what's weird? I feel like these two, I haven't heard a lot about them before this. And I think that's because their numbers weren't very high. I had the same thoughts. But 
They were very violent. It was very gruesome, like, murders. Yeah, I'm just like, you know, I guess we qualify serial killers based on the numbers that they do. Well, it's pretty low. The number's pretty low. Five is like, yeah, for serial killers, that's pretty low, but... I think, like, the definition is three. Uh, Yeah, Like, more than three Mm -hmm. is a spree slash serial killing. Yeah. So it depends on, like, what you do, but yeah. So they were very gruesome, and I, yeah, I agree with you. They weren't, like, Maybe very popular. Maybe they just fell into the cracks of all the other serial killers that were going on at that time. Well, yeah, because there were so many. Yeah, so. those are the fucking assholes. Well. Um, rest in peace to their five victims, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll make sure to think about, um, I think her name was Shirley, on October 31st as the yeah. anniversary of her abduction or Murder. death. If it is October, that will be the 41st anniversary of her death. So if you guys could send, you know, whatever you do. All the vibes. All the good vibes. Mm -hmm. I got my crystals in the bag, Mm -hmm. which is on a tech. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did you just make that up? Yeah, I'm popular. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Who's mans? All right. Um, Well. Wait, do you know which topic you're going to do next time? Because you, we're switching off. So you're going to be, you don't know? You fucking bitch. No. You bitch. I can't believe you. Uh, So I think. being prepared. Excuse me. Scar says, bitch, I could never. You could never be a Boy Scout because that's their motto. Shout out to my boyfriend. Love you. Yeah, but that is the Toolbox Killers. Next time, Tess is going to be telling the story. Um, Thank you for tuning into our first episode. And please feel free to send us an email at doubletroublepod at gmail.com with any suggestions. Or you can reach out to us on Insta at double.trouble.pod. We do have a Twitter we as well. We made a tweeter. We made a tweeter, guys. I gotta let you know. I haven't put much on there. It's my responsibility. I tweet a twat. I shut. No. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you say that? I tweet a twat. Um, but our fucking Twitter is at double trouble TC. Tess is probably really happy with that because T came before C. You know. You know. I just I do prefer to give that. you one thing in life. I'll have it. I'll one thing it. in life. So yeah. Um. Thanks so much for tuning in. And this is Tess and Chloe signing off. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna get in trouble, make sure to keep it double. 